So welcome to Tripod. This is a series of podcasts by the Technology Transfer Office from Trinity College, Dublin, Ireland, aimed at highlighting some of the innovative research and ideas emerging from Trinity. I'm Edward O'Loughlin. I'm doing an executive MBA in Trinity Business School, and my co-host here is Dr. John Whelan, Transfer Technology Transfer Manager in Trinity. Our guest today is Dr. Nicole Baker, who's going to talk to us about a research and startup in the area of pharmacovigilance. Uh, you're very welcome, Tripod. Thank you. Um, could you start by telling us a little bit about how you got interested in the field? In the field of pharmacovigilance or yeah. in the field of uh, artificial intelligence? Yeah, how you learn to pronounce pharmacovigilance. Yeah, you, you. <laughs> it's a bit of a mouthful. Yes, that's the first question that people ask me, what do you do? And I always have to think a little bit before I say what I do because pharmacovigilance is not something that a lot of people would be aware of. So pharmacovigilance is a science that looks at the safety, efficacy and quality of products from development to market. So all products that you see in the pharmacy or all products that are in clinical trials, you have pharmacovigilance behind it. Mm. And we usually, not usually, but sometimes we are the bad guys in a company because we are looking for um, things that could go wrong and we have to predict um, adverse events, um, interactions and things that are unwanted um, for patients to, to have. So basically we are protecting patients' lives by doing pharmacovigilance and by uh, making sure that the product that they are taking is safe. And is it always, uh, is it after the therapy or the compound or the small molecule? That's my knowledge of biology is in pharma. You always say small molecule, it sounds like you know what you're talking about. But it does, is it part of the uh, regulatory process to get the drug approved or is yes. it after, or, or is it continuous after it's on the market? Yes, yeah, so when you're doing the clinical trials, you have phase one, you have preclinical where you're looking at um, tests in animals and cells, and then you go to phase one, two, three which is the pre-development, the part of the development of the product. And you would be looking at safety from the very start. So a phase one trial, for example, you're looking at healthy volunteers and you're giving the product and you're looking at safety. So you are checking that if a healthy volunteer takes a drug, what would happen to that person before you even go into patients that are uh, with a disease that you're looking to treat. So then you develop the products into phase one, two, and three. And then when it goes to market, so you do do pharmacovigilance all along, and you're looking at safety and you're looking at efficacy. So you have endpoints where you're looking at the efficacy of the drug, if it works, if it doesn't work, if it makes sense or not. And then you're looking at the safety. And then you put the two together and you look at the benefit risk of the product. And that is very, there's no hard, it, it is the science, but there's a lot of grey areas. For example, if you have a product to treat terminal um, cancer, the patients are very sick already, and the patients probably want to, uh, another few years or maybe months um, yeah, of life. And then you yeah. get, in, yeah, then you think, you know, you know that this drug will have quite a lot of adverse events, a lot of uh, um, unwanted um, effects, but 
you are prolonging the life of a patient and the patient wants to take that drug. So you also need to take into consideration what the patient wants. So a lot of um, regulatory authorities and pharma companies to be on the very kind of protective side, we say this is very risky, this product uh, will give you, uh, you know, a list of adverse events and, and, and other um, symptoms that you don't want to have. But if the patient says, I'm willing to take the drug and I'm willing to take the risk, then that's the interaction that you're having with the patient and, and and the patient is helping to make a decision if they want to take the drug or not. So there's no drug that is safe, not even paracetamol is. So, yeah. wow. Wow. <laughs> so there's absolutely... Well, hear, uh, we, we have a lot of research in Trinity on pro-drugs for, for example, we did spin out Sovertrin, which has an aspirin pro-drug um, and you know, I was talking to my colleague Gordon Elliott, who works with in that area, and he said that paracetamol would not be approved regulatory. It would not be on the market. It certainly, wouldn't be over the counter. Mm-hmm. I mean, because it's, I know, I know they certain you know, it's can be toxic. Yeah. And uh, so the project now that you're working on in Trinity is kind of bringing that to the next level in engaging with computer scientists. Yes. So I was very much always involved on the science side of things and then for the past few years I have seen a change that mm-hmm. a lot of companies and a lot of people working pharmacovigilance or working in the health uh, care sector is looking at artificial intelligence and looking at how to use the best technology to help us on a day-to-day job mm-hmm. because our day-to-day job with all the regulations and all the, the requests that we have from the public and also from, you know, in general, um, to make sure that the drugs are safe. We have so much work to do with not a lot of resources and the work that we do is still very manual in terms of how we, we do our day-to-day work and how do we analyze data and um, we do use the statisticians to work with us and, and epidemiologists to work in pharmacovigilance but in general the use of artificial intelligence and automation in pharmacovigilance and clinical safety which is before pharmacovigilance it's um it's becoming more common and it's becoming, you know, a buzzword out there. Everybody's talking about it, but I don't see a lot of it actually happening. So there's a lot of talk, a lot of uh, people doing showcases and the big, you know, um, let's talk about AI and bots and automation and all of that. But the day-to-day work is still very much a manual and we use people and we use a lot of um, outsourcing in pharmacovigilance. So you outsource to low cost regions because it is a very expensive department for a pharmaceutical company to, yeah, to yeah. run because you need a lot of people, a lot of data. So what would they typically, like what would a typical day be for somebody, say that's outsourced to do kind of the, the donkey work? Um, would they be trawling through online journals? Or, how does it work? Yes, for medical literature monitoring, for example, which is one of the activities mm-hmm. of pharmacovigilance and is the activity that we are going into, the, the they have to do the search every week and they would do using search words in PubMed or in any other proprietary um, database looking at the literature and then they would have to go through all the abstracts looking for adverse events and looking for special situations or interactions and that is for for medicinal 
products, but the same goes for battery products now that they, you know, they also need to do that when they're writing aggregate reports um, to provide to, to the authorities and for medical devices uh, is a requirement as well. So it is um, a field where it's a very manual, um, time-consuming work um, to go through all of those articles and the technology that we are developing is to use AI to help us to do the search. Mm -hmm. So AI will be trained to search for adverse events within any safety, any not safety database, with any database. Um, and the interesting thing about this as well is that more and more we're looking at real world data and literature is part of the real world data. Mm -hmm. So when you're looking at pharmacovigilance at the beginning, you would only see uh, reports for adverse events that was coming as a form, you know, uh, a form that would come to you. But now when you look at real world data, data could come in any form and in any form. So literature is one of them. And then you can have media um, source of information, like you can have data from social media, from forums, from patient registries, from health records, and yeah. from insurance. Yeah, patient advocacy groups. And yes. Yeah, the patients registered. You know, there's so many sources. Yeah, that's very interesting. There's a so lot of source of data. Kind of big data out there, mm -hmm. such a text analytics kind of problem. Yes. Really. Who would be the clients for this type of research and gathering of information? So the main clients would be the pharmacovigilance departments of uh, pharmaceutical and biotech companies. But the agencies like the FDA, EMA, mm. um, globally, they also need to, mm. to do the searches. So it's, in their, it's one of their requirements as well that they do it. Mm. And because a lot of the work is outsourced to service providers, they would be looking to 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 get support as well, to get technology to do it better. Mm. And what we found when we started talking about it, that it's not only um, pharmaceutical companies that want to, to, to use this product, but also independent consultants and healthcare mm -hmm. professionals because they are becoming more educated in terms of you know what they're prescribing to patients so they want to make an informed decision mm. about the product so one example that I can use is like if there's a new product that has been uh, approved and um, not a lot of people know about it and then the, the, the physician starts describing it, but even the physician wants to know more about it. So he can do a search himself and say, put, use the keywords of the, the product, and he will find all adverse events that are related to that product. He will find it coming from, from literature, peer-reviewed literature. So it's not Google. The difference mm. is using this product is that you're getting peer-reviewed mm scientific literature, medical literature, instead of getting um, um, outputs coming from a Google search where people are talking about it, that not always is the, 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 the truth. Yeah, I mean, uh, we were talking earlier about in Trinity over the last for 10 years or so, there's a, a project, a service called Pulp Crawler, which is run by a guy, it's, it's ironically, he's in microbiology originally, but he's the server was above Kennedy's Pub on, on uh, Westland Road because that's part of Trinity. But 
an ironic key, it's called pub crawler because it crawls, it's like an alert system set up so you put in keywords into PubMed and it just sends you an email every day quite simple, basic thing but it's very, they have hundreds of thousands of users it's amazing phenomenon but this is, you're going further and with you know machine learning and you have to find the context not, it's not enough is it to find just the name of the drug yeah. or the name of the compound it's, it's what's an adverse effect is that yeah. what you're particularly yeah about? we are particularly interested in adverse um, mm. events because that's what we need to report back to the authorities mm. so we are looking to find if that adverse event is related to the drug um, that is they're talking in, in the article. So, and that is if a patient has taken that drug. So, we need based a, a, um, a sequence of events that has to happen for, for it to be an adverse event. And then the machine is learning um, how to pick it up, how to find it. So, we have um, labeled lots of uh, articles to be able to teach the machine how to detect those events. So, and then the machine, the, the prototype that we have has shown that it's, it, it, it can find and it is something that is feasible. Now we have signed up 20 um, companies to do a pilot with us oh. where we are going to develop it further to make sure that um, the software or the tool is fit for purpose and at the moment we only work in the background we're looking at the code looking at how the machine mm. is learning and then using machine learning um, expertise the machine can can teach itself yeah. so there's a lot of other things that can be done that i'm not the right person yeah. to, to talk about that but like we are yeah, that's where the computer science yes, people computer come in. Yes, computer science people come in and we do, our co-founder um, Bruno Hanna is the, 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 the AI uh, person behind this project and um, I'm, I'm the pharmacovigilant yeah, yeah, and I think it's, it's very important to put the two together because a, a software that only has IT systems people working on it, it might not be fit for purpose for a healthcare. No, it's the ideal and you know, it's the kind of thing that can happen in a university uniquely that you have access to, uh, you know, pharmacy research and mm. machine learning, artificial intelligence, deep learning, and you know, that's where medicine. I'm spending so much more of my time dealing with medicine than I would have ever done in the last few years. It's more and more applications in genome, genomic analysis. Um, you know, it's really machine learning really works now. I mean, it, it was, the concept was always there. But now the computing power is available and the the facilities are cheaper and and that is the problem in terms of talking about cheap what happens mm. is like large pharma companies they have the money they mm. have the people and they can develop that kind of technology and they can improve you know the day-to-day -day and the quality of the data that they look at but smaller pharma mid-sized pharma they're struggling to make up the money to, to get their own products out of the market and mm. to looking at sales. So pharmacovigilance is not really where they want to be spending a lot of money. So the aim for this product is that we are going to be able to service a large um, number of companies that are not being served at the moment because yeah. they cannot afford to pay for very expensive. But it's regulatory driven, so yes. they have to do it. I mean, yes. investors. Mm. You know, VCs love regulatory driven because <laughs> it's not a choice, you know, there's, there's a lot of companies and you never hear about them in 
like compliance and finance. A lot mm -hmm. of Irish companies that you never hear about, but they deal with uh, compliance because, you know, yeah, companies have no choice. They need to comply. And yeah. They need to pay for it. They need a solution. Mm -hmm. But they will not pay for it if they can't afford to pay for it. If it is, if you think about Salesforce, for example, mm. um, they became quite cheap, and then a lot of other companies just started using them. And it doesn't mean that they are bad, you know, but they are servicing a bigger market. Yeah, yeah. And Oracle bought them. Yeah, that was, <laughs> that's how big they became. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. You you've mentioned so you have this prototype. You you're developing this pilot study with 20 companies and so on. What, what do you really see as the next step and what sort of time frame? So the next steps would be to, to, to make a better, so the prototype that we have now, the MVP, and then have an alpha as a product, and then we have to work into making a face to it. So it has to, to have an interface um, mm -hmm. where companies can use it on their site. So we're envisaging it to be a SaaS, um, that people will pay a, a subscription or companies will pay a subscription to use it and it will be interactive so the, 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 the user can add names, can add um, uh, for example demographics, age so if they want to use a product that let's say paracetamol in Japan um, for the age of three to four so you can put those parameters for the time you know for the past 10 years so you can actually start putting parameters so you go into analytics so not only machine learning but like you will be able to analyze the data that you're getting back and then if companies want to plug in into their own systems. So if they want to pull the data and then have it kind of pushed into, they don't want to see, they, they don't want to have an interface for example, they just want the data to be pushed into their own system, we can do that as well. So we, that's why we, we have the pilot and then the need. So I, from working in the industry, I'm aware that a lot of companies would want us to just push the data into the safety database because this data is going from, um, we are doing this work in terms of finding adverse events in the literature, but the data has to go into a safety database. And that safety database contains all the adverse events that happens to all the drugs that the company has. So that is the aim. So some companies might say, well, just push it through and, yeah. <laughs> and get it into the, the other machine. Mm. Japan is interesting. Just my own experience, I lived in Japan. And when you go to your GP in Japan, they, they are the pharmacist. There's no separation. Now, maybe now this is 20 years ago. Maybe it's changed. I hope it has because it's, you know, regularly wise. So they, you know, they're making money. They have a drawer full of, uh, you know, drugs. So if you go, they and they give you a drug for every symptom. It's crazy. I remember I had a tropical fever. I'd been in Thailand. I was really quite sick, but I figured that what I needed was an antibiotic. But they give you, uh, have you got a headache? Here's something for a headache. If you have vomiting, something for vomiting, diarrhea. You know, they give you, I, I came out of the place with eight, eight different packs and they weren't even branded. Yeah. They were like in little pouches and that's the way it works. Now maybe it's changed, but, yeah. but it's a good point to make about different drugs when you're on holidays. Even when you're, I was trying to buy paracetamol in Germany recently and it was actually quite difficult. Because I don't, and I know the names, the brands are different, but you know, 
Yeah, and some drugs would be over the counter in yeah. one country, yeah. and it would be prescription only in another one. Even between Ireland and the UK, there are differences. Yeah. Or you can go across the border, and I know I go up to Derry, and I remember being in Spain, yeah, and you get eye drops, anti antibiotic eye drops you can buy over the counter. I think you know certain things that yeah you won't don't get here. Yeah. People bring them home, then people hoard them. And, yeah. And and just to say, pharmacovigilance has to be done for no matter what drug it is, if it is an over-the-counter or Mm. if it is a prescription on a black box or whatever it is, you need to to make sure that the the product is safe. Coming back to um, the startup perspective on this, like your experience, like what sort of supports did you feel you've got and how how has that experience been? I got a lot of support. Uh, it's and okay I, to say if you yeah, didn't. No, no, I got a, <laughs> like I got, Ireland, we love to say oh, it's great. No, 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 I'm, I'm not Irish, I'm Brazilian, yeah. so I, I like to complain. <laughs> no, we, so I, I've, um, I was in, in, in a paid job, uh, you know, for, for, for a long time, and I've decided to, start my own business beginning of last year and I had no idea what to do where to go or how to even start I just had an idea that I want to develop um, an AI um, product for pharmacovigilance and I was able to also become a consultant in my area as a, as a pharmacovigilance professional so you know the starting point is like okay I need to open a company and how do I do that and you start um, looking at the options and and then you I came across I think it was a startup week um, run by by the Leo in the um, yeah. city Dublin city county yeah. Mm. and yeah, Dublin startup week was last was in November. In November, but, yeah. but that was it. Was it? They they run an, I think a, a a business week or something yeah, like yeah, I can't yeah. remember what it was called, but it was at the beginning of the year. Mm. And then I went, so I signed online and I went to some of the 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 workshops and it was all free, which yeah. was good. And then I met a lot of people and people started talking. You know, like oh, you do this. For, for, for that and you do that and you're kind of trying to give you kind of a little bit everybody was very well intentioned in terms mm-hmm. of giving you advice on what to do and one of the guys I can't remember his name he said oh you can go you can sign into New Frontiers which is an mm-hmm. enterprise Ireland um, mm-hmm. program and then I said okay you know like and then he was like oh you can also sign um uh, there's a benefit as well from the 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 welfare for people starting a business, and I knew nothing about any of that. You know, like I was just I had just quit my job, um, no income, just with an idea in my head, and so I I signed up for 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 both things, and uh, they were very very helpful in terms of helping to develop a full like business plan and the group of people. So with with the new frontiers, we were. I did it in um, Tala, and um, we were a group of thirteen people developing different business, mm. and we went. We were there for six months, um, and we we grew together. We yeah, I think that's a really good point. That you don't feel so lonely. I've I've actually personally myself been out in Tala, um, in the co-working space, and yeah, you don't feel it's it's kind of lonely being at home in your garage or kitchen. 
yeah. running your company, isn't it? You find, yeah. and then it's great to have people you can grow with them. That's fantastic. And then we got lots of support in terms of legal support, into writing a business plan, into uh, looking at marketing, um, accounts. So it covers the whole gamma of like starting a new business, mm-hmm. and. So I was there for six months, which was, um, it, it was great. And, you know, I, I learned a lot. I wouldn't have learned so much um, if I was doing it all by myself and if I didn't have the support. And plus they were giving us, um, that is a, a benefit, <laughs> they're giving us a thing as a salary <laughs> um, oh, yeah, to do yours. that. Yeah, not New Frontiers is fantastic. Yes, because you are starting a business, but you need to make, you know, you need to pay rent, you need to, and a lot of people, when I started, I thought, I'm only going to be kind of new young people coming out of college with ideas to become, you know, starting their own business. And what I found out wasn't, that's not the case. A lot of the people starting business nowadays are people who were in the industry for many years. Mm. And then they decided, okay, I'm going to do my own thing now. And they have the experience in the background to kind of make decisions, I think, uh, in terms of starting a business that hopefully will be um, successful. You do hear lots of horror stories of how many business weren't mm. successful oh, and kind of uh, trying to get you to... To think about it, you know, like you might not be successful, you might not go go anywhere. Um, so then I, I came to Trinity because we had an idea, we want to develop our, our product further and to make sure that we had the right connection, that we were in the right place with um, amongst the right type of people that would be able to help us to to grow and develop and that is the why I came back to Trinity and when I say come back to Trinity like when I came to Ireland in 2005 I was in Trinity with the Kingston Mills doing oh, yes, research yeah, which yeah. was a different different era altogether yeah. a different life and uh, I'm going back even further but I mean as Ed asked in the beginning what like what got you interested even in science or pharmacy is there anything in particular Back in Brazil, back in the day. Yeah, so my mother was a doctor. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I I didn't want to be a doctor because in my head, as a child, I didn't like patients, which is a bad thing to say. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but, but I wasn't a pe- I, I, I wasn't a people person. Okay. <laughs> I wasn't really a people person. So I wanted to work in science, but I wanted to work in the lab. And I had a passion for science and lab and anything to do with biology. And I also wanted to travel. So there was two things that I wanted to do. I was like, I want to travel and I want to do science. And I don't want to. I want. If I could be a doctor, but not see patients. But then talking to my mom at the time, she was like, why would you be a doctor if you don't want to see patients? Why don't you just be, you know, become a scientist? So I said, okay, so we'll do science. So I did science, and then I went on to do a master's in immunology. And then I did a PhD in rheumatology. Um, in UCL, University College London, and then I came to Ireland to do a postdoc. So when I was in, when I came to Ireland, I worked with Kingston Mills, and then I went to UCD for a little bit uh, with Catherine Godson in the Conway, and then I came back 
to um, again to to Trinity uh, in a larger project. So my background is very much immunology and doing kind of work, basic, very basic science um, to try to understand the immune system. And then I went into industry and I wasn't sure how I would be able to apply my my scientific knowledge on my day-to-day job because then it becomes a much more regulatory um, in pharmacovigilance. It's a combination of you use the scientific knowledge that you have, medical knowledge that you have, clinical knowledge that you have with regulatory requirements. So it was the, it was the, the it was a good combination and um and I think in life a lot of the times things happen by chance. Like you don't really you you think you're choosing where you're going and what you're doing, but sometimes, you know, Things yeah. happen, come it's, your way, and you move along. When dealing with startups and young students in Trinity who want to do a startup, and they often ask advice, and you know we have mentors coming in. One in particular, Brian Caulfield, is a successful company and now works at venture capital. But I remember he sponsored a student to go to with Silicon Silicon Valley Bank, which is in San Francisco, obviously Silicon Valley, and this student went, and she's really you know, she was biologist final year in Trinity, but when she came back, she had a debriefing session with him, and I was there, and she was saying, well, what do I plan my career? How do I plan my career out now? And Brian, I remember, said, you know what, to be honest, nobody really plans their career, you know, mm-hmm. things just happen. And mm-hmm. I thought it was very, kind of, uh, lots of people will pretend they plan this, and you know, I plan, you know, but things happen, you know, you meet people, yeah, I mean, you have a general plan, mm-hmm. but it doesn't work out. I think it's important that students kind yeah. of realize yeah. that you can yeah. overplan and. Yeah. And you don't know what you like. Yeah. You know, like you might do something that you think that you'd love doing, that you would love to do it, and mm. then in your day to day, you yeah. realize this yeah. is not for me. It's not what I want to do. And I tried a lot of that, so I was quite bold in that way that I tried to do things a bit of everything to see what what I'd like to do and to be honest where I am now is where I, I think I found my my place yeah, yeah, I, I, I like I, I like working for myself and I like working with but other you're not people. bold in the Irish sense of bold yeah you gotta be bold so. Yeah. But clearly, there's a, a, an entrepreneurial spark in you that you you have made this shift, as you said, from the safe day job to trying to set up your own, setting up your own business. And um, I'm just wondering, John has mentioned about this, the entrepreneurial support and, and and spirit that seems to be developing quite strongly in Trinity now, in in my view. Um, but how have you found it as an environment now over the last year to try and move forward your business? I don't know if it's luck or if it's hard work. Um, you make your own luck, sometimes people say. Yeah, it's hard to tell, isn't it's it? It's hard I, to tell, but mm. I have moved along quite mm. nicely. I don't know so. if it is what, the pro- what we are developing that is something that is in need. Mm. So that I, I was in a niche area where there's a need for what I'm doing. Mm. So we haven't, I have to be very honest, it has been, not. let's not say easy, 
but yeah. we we have kind of developed quite nicely. Mm. I think that's one thing that you have as a huge advantage, I think, is having the technical computer science co-founder and, mm -hmm. um, and researcher and yourself. And that's, that's you know, that's hard to get. You know, the two it's, it's core hard. pillars that you yeah. need, yeah. Mm. And um, that's valuable and unique. And again, a university is the place to find these kind of people, you know, it's, by its nature, they're all, it's a big melting pot of uh, disciplines. Mm. Yeah, and I think the support, the financial support that you get in kind of programs like New Frontiers, or even from the government, uh, the, the social welfare, that a lot of people is not aware of that they can, you know, look for this. Um, I think that helps a lot because depending, you know, if you're a young person just finishing college and you have an idea, you might just need to get a job to pay for your next steps in life and nobody's going to stop charging you rent because you're starting up a business so I think that is it, it is essential that um, the startups and, and, and new business they get the, the financial support to be able to to grow and develop and, and you know I, I was fortunate as well because I, I knew I was going to resign from a well paid job and I saved money, I was going to buy a house, mm -hmm. and then I was saving money for a deposit, mm -hmm. and I said, so I looked at the houses, and I was like, I don't think I can afford a million euro house. <laughs> I was going to say, this is a completely, this is a, a complete podcast story in itself, the whole choices around housing. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. then I was like, okay, I'm not going to buy, so I'm going to resign. I have the oh, money, yeah. I can resign, and I don't need oh. to worry about work. Yeah. Yes, because then I have the money to, I have three children, I can't just not work and not have an income. And uh, so that was my my my, my safety net that yeah. I, I built. Yeah. But some people don't have that. Sure. You know, some sure. people don't have money saved in the bank that they can stop everything and, and give it a chance. Yeah, I mean, I remember during the big recession, there was a lot of forced entrepreneurship in Ireland. You know, people were doing it because they had to. Mm. You know, but you made a choice, so it's it's mm. you know it's good. But I mean, it all it's a numbers game, and it all generates activity for the economy. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. If people wish to get in touch with you online or otherwise, is there an easy way they can get in touch if they wanted to? discuss your research? Yes, they can get in touch with us. We have um, a website www.biologet.com and we are in Trinity so uh, we can, I think, we can we can add our details to the... the yeah, we put it at the end of yeah. the podcast. When we put up the podcast, we'll put the details at the bottom. Uh, fine. And, and then just to ask, what would success you look like thinking about five years time with your research and your startup to see it's not all about money I would be happy to see people companies um, using the, the the product and seeing that it has helped them to on a day-to-day -day job and also to develop um, more products and more um, technology to help pharmacovigilance and to help more people to, to understand what it is. And to be able to buy a house. <laughs> <laughs>
Bye bye. 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 Bye bye.